Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 73 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, and I mean simply everything, has its own history, like corners, acorns, or the shrug. Or heg, speg, fleg, moog, stoog, or brug. All, you're looking, you're looking strangely at me. All will become clear, Sam. All will become clear, I promise. Those are, those are made up words. They are. We'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew, ready for it, that the history of the hedge is all about porridge, utterly, and pig bowls? Wow. Or the history of episodes is about kumquats, deficits, and a ranjaboom. Hmm, there's a bit of a theme going on here. Well, the man sitting opposite me is the hey diddle diddle of history. <laughs> it's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. Um, and the man sitting opposite me is the frumerious bandersnatch, the histogay maestergay. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. <laughs> right, OK, OK. Well, if you haven't guessed, this episode is on the history of nonsense. I'm so Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? I'm so excited about this. I know. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. No. Um, other than non- other than the usual nonsense that we talk about. Yes. So um, this is all my fault. It is. It? This, this one. So you, um, you can start. Where do we start with the history of nonsense, I'm Sam? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you just wanted to read out Edward Lear, didn't you, really? I, I wanted to read out Edward Lear, right. So, so this all came about because uh, my son for Christmas was given a copy of Pears Encyclopedia. Mm. Now, 2017 is the last ever hardback published edition of Pears Encyclopedia. Is it? It is. And it's a, an encyclopedia of interesting facts. And you, you've got, you know, it's it, it's kind of like Wikipedia in a book. Yeah. Um, and that, I remember sitting down reading it through with him and we were looking up cricket scores and various other stuff. And I, I thought, oh, this rings a bell. Something from my childhood, which was like this, but it was exactly the opposite. And here we have the book I was talking about. Ah, Edward Lear's Nonsense Omnibus. I love, I love that book. This is a omnibus of nonsense written by the wonderful Edward Lear. He's uh, a Victorian just... artist and writer and poet. Poet. And one of these amazingly talented yep. people. Um, I'm just trying... And illustrated a lot of his own work as well, didn't he? did, he? yes, and some of Tennyson's work. So first published uh, in 1943, right? And this is big, 
479 pages of utter gibberish. <laughs> I'm just going to read you a few things out. Uh, basically, all I wanted to do was read out some of this. <laughs> he, he more or less invented the limerick, Edward yes. Yeah. There was an old man who supposed that the street door was partially closed, but some very large rats ate his coats and his hats while the futile old gentleman dozed. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be a couple more. Um, I love the way he can rhyme uh, the first two lines. There was an old man of Koblenz, the length of whose legs was immense. He went with one prance from Turkey to France. That surprising old man of Koblenz. And uh, here we are, one last one of of the limericks. There was an old man who said, Hush, I perceive a young bird in this bush. When they said, Is it small? He replied, No, not at all. It's four times as big as the bush. So are these uh, so this is a special omnibus edition. Yes, that that sort of pulls together all of his nonsense verse, all of his nonsense verse, yeah. and and I think that the point to make here is is uh, there are various ways of thinking about what nonsense is. Yeah. So one of them, which I'm going to be talking about mostly, is poetry. Yeah. Um, so sort of literary, not literary non- nonsense, nonsense verse, um, yeah. and there are little limericks like that, um, and this is all from a kind of a, a particular period. So um, late. 19th century, yep, yep. early 20th century. Yep. Um, but it has a much, much older history. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, it's known mostly, or kind of more, most broadly, through um, children's, children's yes. rhymes. I mean, there, there are origins of this in folk songs. As Hey Diddle Diddle. The, the, hey Diddle Diddle, the cat yeah. and the fiddle, the cow jumped over the moon. Yep. Uh, the little dog laughed to see. Such sport. Fun? Such fun, fun is the modern such version of okay. sport. Uh, and, and the dish ran away with dish the spoon. Dish ran away with the spoon. Now, what I really like about this is um, there have been various attempts to try and make sense of what what on earth Hey Diddle Diddle particularly is about. Mm. Um, and I've just got uh, a, a number of number of things here. Um, so so the, the, the earliest reference to this is 1569 Ooh. from a play by a chap called Thomas Preston. They be at hand, sir, with stick and fiddle. They can play a new dance called Hey Diddle Diddle. And then another one, 1597, Alexander Montgomery's The Cherry and the Sleigh. But since you think an easy thing to mount above the moon of your own fiddle, take a spring and dance when you have done. Now, what I really like about this is there'll be loads of historians and kind of uh, literary scholars scratching their heads and trying to work out what on earth this thing is about. And there have been suggestions that it's a corruption of some kind of... uh, um, It actually has a a, a Greek origin. It's got something to do with Lady Catherine Grey and her relationships with the Earls of Hertford and Leicester. It's got something to do with an (laughs) anti-clerical feelings over injunctions by Catholic priests, Um, something to do with Catherine of Aragon. Others say it's something to do with Peter the Great, Um, something to do with an old governor of Calais. Um, But the general consensus is it's actually, it's got nothing to do with anything. And being a historian where we're constantly trying to read meaning into things, uh, I love the way this subverts that and it turns it on its head. (laughs) And it is now generally accepted that it it literally means nothing. But but behind those theories is the idea that basically what you're doing is you are hiding political... Uh, criticism behind sort of nonsense. Yes, but like uh, so it's veiled. And there are, but in fact, it's nonsense. There are examples <laughs> yes. of veils, yes. veiled political, yes. and and those are probably more common yes. than than what we might call pure nonsense. Yes, but hey, diddle diddle does seem to be an example of completely Complete, pure. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, pure, puerile, childish poetry. Um, 
Now, my son recently had to um, read out a poem in class, and um, he was doing all these very sensible kind of poems and coming up with ideas, and they were, they were all very boring, and I gave him the Edward Lear's nonsense omnibus. <laughs> and so he read out the Quangle Wangle's hat. Oh, brilliant. On the top of the crumpety tree, the Quangle Wangle sat, but his face you could not see on account of his beaver hat. We talked about beaver hats, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Um, for hat. his hat was 102 feet wide with ribbons and bibbons on every side and bells and buttons and loops and lace so that nobody ever could see the face of the quangle wangle quee. Brilliant. Anyway, he couldn't read it out without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and it's so, linguistically, it's so, it's so funny. It is so funny. And um, I'll talk about a bit about the, the clever linguistics of nonsense later. Yes. Um, but my wife reminded me of, this was a favourite book from her childhood. Um, which is, it's kind of a slightly more sort of fantasy rather than pure nonsense, but it's very funny. So this is um, a book called A Near Thing for Captain Najork by the brilliant Russell Hoban, mm. um, sort of the 70s and 75. Illustrated by Quentin Blake, it yes. looks like. I'm just going to read you the first two paragraphs of just how wonderful this is. And, and it's, it, it's, I've kind of ca- carried a love for nonsense through my life because of things like this. One morning after breakfast, Tom was fooling around with his chemistry set and he invented... Anti-sticky. Anti-sticky. Then he fooled around with anti-sticky and jam and springs and wheels and connecting rods, and he made a two-seater jam-powered frog. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> since, we're, since we're reading out. Yeah, go on. Um, Jabberwocky. Yeah. Lewis Carroll. Um, Alice in Wonderland. This is a sort of made-up um, sort of beast or monster, and it's it's rendered in um, in just nonsense words just completely made up words and basically alice is wandering through wonderland and comes across a book and she can't read the pages and Mm. then she discovers that it's mirror writing so she holds a mirror up to it yeah and then is able to read right this poem uh that in fact is nonsense yeah oh right Uh, that's really really, it really is nonsense (laughs) so it really is nonsense it's the jabberwocky and this was uh, you you were the frumious bandersnatch yeah which comes from this twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the mome wraths outgrave. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious snatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the maxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought, and as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, and vorpal blade went snicker-snack and left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy, O frabjous day, Kalugalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogroves, and the mome wraths outgrave. Isn't that great? It's wonderful, and it's um, it's it's like listening to poetry in a foreign language, where yes. you can you can get the sense you of it, the... and it's very enjoyable listening to it, even though you have no idea what it's going on. They, about. They, they sort of come to my arms, oh beamish boy, oh frabjous day, kalu yeah. kalay, yeah, wonderful. It it is absolutely fabulous. But so um, yeah, there are all of these examples of entertaining, joyous, 
nonsense, yes. which um, we see now from the 19th century onwards, but I bet it has a longer history. I than bet it that. has a much longer history. I think also the thing, the thing that we need to think about is the distinction about how we define nonsense and the distinction between something that is invented and got gibberish, effectively gobbledygook, and then something that is that is nonsense. Yep. So it's the opposite from sense. Yep. And that relates to something that I wanted to talk a little bit about. Go for it. Uh, which is about cryptography. Ah. So in 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 sort of cryptographic theory, what you what you are trying to achieve is basically when you are trying to crack a code, you're trying to make sense out of the nonsense. Yep. And when you are trying to write a code, you're trying to make it look as if it is as you know, as, as sort of ordinary and everyday and innocuous as you can. I've got an example here from uh, of a, a letter in cipher um, from George Digby, Earl of Bristol, uh, written on the king's behalf to Prince Rupert, or maybe Prince Morris, and it's dated um, the 27th of April from Oxford, where the royalists are. This is in, in England during the Civil War, 1645. And the first, um, it starts, may it please uh, your majesty, in my last by Stevens, I gave your highness an account of Cromwell's incursion into the quarters of 300 horse. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, it goes on. Prince Rupert and the reputation of it to draw an army quickly out of London to distress us here. And then it continues. Um, uh, N3241.58.26.15.1. Sixty-four dot thirteen, and the rest of it is completely in numerical code. And you can see here in this in the letter, um, somebody has had a go at ciphering it. Right, and that, um, that's very different from from the kind of cipher where 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 a letter that makes sense hides a different sense. Yes, doesn't it? So you'd often have um, you'd often have people having code words for particular people. It's very sort of famous in the in Mary Queen of Scots case. So when Mary gets sort of caught up in, in sort of trying to assassinate Elizabeth the first, and you know, and have herself put on the throne, a lot of the instructions that are given, and a lot of the key players have different names. So the Duchess of Newcastle, or so you know, you know, various sort of names. So they, so you're trying to sort of what look reads almost like nonsense is sort of is. Encoded, so they 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 are made up names. It's essentially yes, they're like completely made up names. Colonel Mustard, yes, Colonel Mustard, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Have you ever come across the the Voynich manuscript? No, made up. It's a made up manuscript. No, just no. It's not. It's a real manuscript. It's a real. <laughs> it's a total real manuscript. It, what's that about? If you go to your, I've got it here. I downloaded it this oh, morning. Cool. Um, I like it. Is it is a fifteenth century codex? So in other words, it's a paper book, handwritten. Uh, manuscript, uh, roughly dated. It's been carbon dated to the early 15th century. It's named after the Polish book dealer who bought it. It's composed in northern Italy during the Italian Renaissance, and nobody knows what on earth it means. Oh, that's brilliant! It is written in a in the sort of most in a an unintelligible language. Wow. So nobody and people have people from okay, computer so, scientists and cryptographers have spent year decades trying to pour over it. And here, so, what's I've, the name of the manuscript? A, the Voynich How manuscript. Do you, spell you spell it V O Y N I C H, yeah. and it's basically a sort of you know we were talk we talked we recorded yesterday um, a podcast on recipes. 
Yes. And it is a sort of recipe, uh, astronomical book, biological, cosmology, pharmaceutical. It's got all sorts of recipes in and all sorts of illustrations you can see here. Can you see that yeah, on my... I'm struggling to see. Those of you who... Oh, yes. Those of you who... Um, if you go to archive.org, listeners, and you type in Voynich Manuscript, mm-hmm. uh, you can download a PDF of the manuscript in full colour uh, from the Beinecke so Library. That's cool. So what are you looking at there? Describe what I'm looking that. at here is I'm looking at a series of pages, which are sort of their folio pages, so they're about, you know, the size of a sort of an A4 sheet, or if you're listening in America, a sort of, you know, letter. Uh, so a standard size uh, paper. And they've obviously got recipes on them um, and illustrations. Uh, and what we've got here is, is illustrations of plants. So we've got a pl- plant with leaves here uh, and roots. So half of it makes sense. So so visually, some of it makes sense. Okay. But, but the, the, the text that goes the with text it. The text is in... There, there are a few sort of lines of, of, of Latin, a little bit of Greek uh, in the margins, but it is in complete... It just... Well, it, I mean... It obviously means something to yeah. some to the person who produced it, but um, it is absolutely unintelligible uh, for normal reader. So, okay, so here so, we've yeah. also got astrological charts. If you go down here, written in either sixteen sixty five or sixteen sixty six, the vellum has been dated to early fifteenth century. Aha, uh-huh. only fifteenth century. Okay, yeah. right, right, yeah. Yep. So it's much older paper, yep. even if it, if yep. it was composed in the in, yep. the in the seventy. Well, I tell you what, listeners, can someone please rapidly, as rapidly as possible, translate for us? Yep. <laughs> Crack this code. Come on, historians. Excellent. I can't believe it's it's not known. <clears throat> so that's an example of of um, something that might not be nonsense, but appears to be nonsense. So we need more nonsense now. What in our lives? Or yes. Actual, no, no, oh, no, right, no, no. An example of nonsense. Yes. Oh, good, 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 good. What more? What more? What more nonsense have we got? Uh, Do you know, while we were... I, I, I love Edward Lear. I didn't get a chance to read out okay. one of my favourites. There was an old man of New York who murdered himself with a fork, but nobody <laughs> cried, though he very soon died for that silly old man of New York. That's wonderful. I love it. Um, I'm going to play you something very briefly now. Okay. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> Wait a minute, now. <laughs> okay, take two. <laughs> that is uh, the very famous introduction to Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. Um, Explain. Which is well, it's one of my favourite songs. Um, and again, I discovered it uh, uh, relatively early on in my life. So I was probably 16 or 17. Um, it's for his album, Bringing It All Back Home. It's the end of side A, so 1965. And I love it because it is complete nonsense. Yeah. And it it's a, I've always liked artists uh, or musicians who can balance something extremely sensible with something which is utter drivel. Yeah. Um, and his 115th Dream is, is, a, is a wonderful example. It's been described as... Um, it's sort of the audio equivalent of smoking your first joint. Um, he's obviously smashed out of his face right at the beginning. Yes. He can't even hold it together yes. enough to, to play it. But he goes on to play it. Um, and it's got, it has maritime themes to it, which I like. Ah. But all sorts of extraordinarily bizarre things happen to him in this, in this thing. Let me just read the, the beginning. Yeah. Um, I was riding on the Mayflower when I thought I spied some land. I yelled down to Captain Ahab, I'll have you understand, who came running to the deck and said, boys, forget the whale, we're going over yonder, cut the engines, change the sails, haul on the bowling. We sang that melody like all tough sailors do when they're far away at sea. Anyway, he goes on to describe America and then some really weird stuff happens. He meets someone from France. He leaves somewhere without his hat. He walks into a bank. Um, it, it's just, it, you never know what's going to happen next. And it's, hmm. a, it's a truly wonderful, um, rambly, nonsense poem. But I particularly like it because it's written by someone who could also write two years earlier, um, Masters of War, which is uh, Dylan's extremely famous song about about the Cold War hmm. and about, um, let me just read this. Come you masters of war, you that build the big guns, you that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks. I just want you to know I can see through your masks. So on the one hand, you have this 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 person who can, who can write the most profound and powerful um, music against politicians mm. against mm. the cold war mm. um and then you can have someone who is so joyous and joyful with yeah. his embracing yeah. of nonsense yeah um and i'd love to be able to see, see, yeah. see the two sides yeah. of that um and john lennon is another one who did exactly the same and i'm going to talk about him in a minute so um if you guys if you have not listened to bob dylan's 115th dream please do so because uh it has given me an enormous amount of joy in my life since we're with um since we're with uh, playing Extracts. What do you make of this? I love it. <laughs> so that's jazz nonsense. It's jazz scat singing. Yeah. The best scat singing I've seen live was in a blues club in Chicago. Okay. Where this guy with an enormous tongue kind of came around the audience and tried to get everyone to sort of yeah, yeah. do this this singing. But it's the it's this sort of improvised, you know, nonsense syllables without words, scat singing that, you know, such an energy oh, yeah. to it. Do we know much about the history of, of that? 
or uh, not. If we don't, we can ask people. To we do. I do mean, w- Wikipedia knows, uh, knows all about it. What does Wikipedia tell us about it? <laughs> <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald, it starts... I mean, it starts in the sort of early... It starts in the early 20s. What we heard there was Louis Armstrong's 1926 recording of Heebie Jeebies, uh, which is one of the sort of first examples of this. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose what it is, it's almost sort of, you know, like sort of using your voice to improvise yeah and improvising and the way in which the way in which jazz musicians can improvise with their with their instruments um you know not following conventional notes and so it's about the the voice being it's a, it, celebrating the yes. voice for the voice. Yes. So you're not trying to sound like a trumpet necessarily. No. You're just no, no, no. it's making a noise that only a, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. making a noise that only the voice can make. I I wonder if if and not you and not using conventional words. No. You know, which would be much, I mean otherwise you would sort of be singing gibberish. Yeah. In a way in a way that if you think about the way in which musicians play instruments and the notes are all over the place and they're improvising. Yeah. You know, you're not you're 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 not able to do that through standard linguistic forms through standard language so coming up with different sounds and different noises that you can make you know suggests a sort of a, a real inventiveness and freedom which is what jazz is which is what jazz is all about <laughs> nice <laughs> um i wonder if the if, if one of the reasons we were interested in this or we kind of naturally like it is is something to do with 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 the learning of language as a baby, as a yes. child because the people who speak fluent nonsense are <laughs> yeah. toddlers yeah aren't they they are yeah. And isn't it interesting how how a parent can understand what their child is saying when it is basically said complete gibberish, like yes. Jabberwocky? Yes. And then and then the parent will go, "Oh, of course, darling. Why don't we go and look at the ponies?" Yes. <laughs> but then actually, their question, which was squibbly, bibbly, bobbly, wobbly, yes. was, yes. "Mummy, I'd really like to go." And you, look at that which, which, which which leads me to think about the language nonsense. Yeah, language nonsense games. Um, the Aggie Peggy games. What's that? Okay, so these are these are a lot of languages around the world have systems, often used by children, um, where they use various sort of linguistic forms um, to encode what they're saying. So, for example, like Pig Pig Latin is 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 one sort of example. So pig Latin, for example, you you move the onset of the first syllable to the end of each word and say a. So, for example, I'll give you an example here. When a word starts with a vowel, there's no onset. So you simply say a, way, yay, or hey, depending on the variant. So, for example, hello, how are you becomes hello, hey, ow, hey, r, a, u, a. Okay. Or there's agy, pagy as well, um, which is you insert ag before the rhyme of each syllable. So, hello, how are you? Becomes, <laughs> hey, Gialogi. <laughs> hey, gal. He is a very hey, serious historian, everyone. Hey, you. <laughs> Can you do that or, again? That's or, amazing. I or really or like. ub, ub, <laughs> is you insert ob or ub before the rhyme of each syllable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Can you give us an example of that? There isn't an example. Okay. <laughs> no, none of us have got any or, or, idea. Or polysyllabic, olysyllabic, which is multiple repetitions of polysyllabic words, deleting initial sounds and making appropriate vowel changes. So everybody, very body, everybody, rye body, why body, body, oddy, die, why. <laughs> or cockney rhyming slang. Cockney uh, rhyming slang is much more, is much easier. Okay. Yeah. Um, or isle. Okay, go on. You insert isle 
after words last pre-vowel consonant <laughs> while discarding the remaining letters. So Merry Christmas, Mizzle Chris Mizzle. <laughs> we should have had that for um and there's also backslang, um, which is formed by speaking words backwards. And apparently butchers in Australia use it. Do they? Uh, Why? Seal Why would shop they talk from customers? Butchers or, in Australia, or, <laughs> or, or spoonerisms, oh, I like which rune. are formed by swapping runespisms. sound runespisms. Yeah, yeah, swapping things around. She picked my nose, becomes she nicked my pose. Yeah. The pig is sick. The sig is pick. Well, those kind of nonsense games, they must also have a history. You've got, you've got a, yes. we've got a yes. number of language nonsense things there, yes. and, and I, I can, I can see people sitting around a Georgian fire. I mean, if you just have a look at a list of of different language games, host languages, there's some in Afrikaans, Albanian, Arabic, Bengali, Bulgarian, Burmese, Cantonese, Danish, Dutch, you know, and you go on and on and on. So Who would you most these, like to play a language systems. game with? I'm going to suggest Spike Milligan. Oh, or Spike Milligan. Charles Dickens. Or John Clee, the Python. Oh, the Python. The Python guy. I'm going yeah. to talk a little bit about the Pythons. Okay. Well, let me just um, just ca- carry on. I'm going to just carry on with this theme of uh, artists or musicians or poets having a having a celebrating their silly side as well as their serious side. Um, and this one is is not very well known. So this is the person who wrote, "Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today." And that, of course, is John Lennon. Now, in the 67, 68, John Lennon, who spent his entire life doodling very much like Edward Lear, inspired by Edward Lear, um, writing nonsense poetry, writing nonsense stories. And um, one of the things I think was wonderful about it is he also made up words. Hmm. I just love this one. It's about, it's about someone who's, who's having a sort of quiet moment, and it's called I Sat Belonely. And I just love the word belonely. I sat belonely down a tree, humbled, fat and small. A little lady sing to me. I couldn't see at all. I'm looking up and at the sky to find such wondrous voice. Puzzly puzzle, wonder why I hear but have no choice. Speak up, come forth, you ravel me. I potty menthol shout. I know you hiddy by this tree, but still she won't come out. Such softly singing lulled me sleep an hour or two or so. I wakeny slow and took a peep and still no lady show. Then suddy on a little twig I thought I see a sight, a tiny little tiny pig that sing with all its might. I thought you were a lady. I giggle, well I may. To my surprise the lady got up and flew away. <laughs> Isn't that great? Brilliant. Um, and I just, so the whole thing, I mean, if you flick through this book, so the book is called um, The Writings of John Lennon. Um, there are two of his books here. One is called In His Own Right, which is his first one, and the second one is called A Spaniard in the Works, which I really enjoy. Anyway, he, he's done a kind of famous five. Uh, I'll just read the first paragraph of this. The famous five through Woe Now Abbey. It was holiday time for the famous five by Enig Blyter. Tom, Stan, Dave, Nigel, Burnis, Arthur, Harry, Wee Jockey, Matumbo and Craig. <laughs> Those are the three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those are the ten people in John Lennon's famous five. For the, se- for the past 17 years, the fabled Fibe had been forming into adventures on varicose islands and secret valets with their famous ill-bred dog, Craigsmuir, their popular <laughs> uncle, Philpole, with his popular curly white hair and his rugged red weathered battered face and his popular fisherman's boots and his big junky sweater and his little cottage. 
Grudley Pod, Grudley Pod, the train seemed to say. Grudley Pod, we're on our holidays. And they were. Upon arrival, they noticed a mysterious stranger who bowed no ill. Oi, what's this ear? he said from behind. We're the famous fire by Greenod Bladder, replied Tom Stan, Dave, Nigel, Burnis, Arthur, Harry, Wee Jockey, Matumbo and Craig. Anyway, it goes on and on. It's the most wonderfully ridiculous, nonsensical, famous five story. So um, what's good about this is is this um, the silliness of, of John Lennon. Um, and in the introduction to this book, um, Paul McCartney wrote about it. And he wrote about when he first met John Lennon. And he um, he starts off talking about when he met John Lennon at Walton Village Fet. I met him. I was a fat schoolboy. And as he leaned an arm on my shoulder, I realised that he was drunk. We were 12 then, but in spite of his sideboards, we went on to become teenage pals. And it's very sweet. And he, he hugely appreciates Lennon's kind of inner silliness and in the strength and creativity. And at the end, he he, he, he writes something which I think sums up nonsense. There are bound to be thickheads who will wonder why some of it doesn't make sense, and others who will search for hidden meanings. What is a brummer? There's more to dub old boot than meets the eye, surely. But none of it has to make sense, and if it seems funny, then that's enough. And I Excellent. love that, and that really Excellent. sums it up for me. So um, us historians who try and find and see meaning in everything we look at, sometimes we should just stop and, and, and admire it. Admire it for being nonsense. Admire it for being nonsense. So my final thing is about politics. Hmm. The Monster Raving Looney Party. Oh, okay. Which are a sort of nonsense, nonsense, nonsense party. But it's a sort of a serious nonsense party. Serious isn't? nonsense party established um, by the musician David Such. Uh, Screaming Lord Such, yeah. apparently Third Earl of Harrow, uh, self-titled, or Lord Such, in 1983. Mm-hmm. And you always see them uh, on, you know, election night, sort of dressed up in sort of silly clothes. Uh, and they do have a, you know, they do have a rather sort of serious, um, there's a very silly sort of nonsense side, but it is a sort of, it, it it's a way of satirising. Yeah, and lampooning. Ma- and lampooning politics. And you can think about how, you know, particularly how at particular periods they've been um, an important focus for protest votes. Yep. Um, there's that famous sort of, um, d- you know, David Owen uh, election with David Owen when yep. he was part of the Social Democrats and wouldn't wouldn't join with the with the Liberals and um, they almost beat him mm. that night and then and then say that they will form an alliance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. But what's but um, <clears throat> what's quite what I mean. Part of this is um, is based this idea of sort of silly politics yeah. um, links to some other sort of very sort of um, sort of absurd comedians. We've talked about them already. The um, Monty Pythons, yeah. And there was a famous um, Monty Pythons Flying Circus, a famous election night special. Yes, I remember that vividly. Um, yeah. Which I want to read to you. Okay, go for it. Uh, it starts with John Cleese talking very fast. Um, Hello, good evening, and welcome to election night special. There's tremendous excitement here at the moment, and we should be getting the first results through at any moment now. We're not sure where it will be from. It might be Leicester or from West Byfleet. The polling's been quite heavy in both areas. Ah, I'm just getting it. I'm just getting it. Buzzing noise in my left ear. Ah, ah, ah. He removes an instep and stamps on it. Uh, Now let's go straight over to Leicester. Over to Michael Palin. And it's a straight fight here at Leicester, and we're expecting the result any moment now. There with the returning officer is Arthur Smith, the sensible candidate, and next to him is Jethro Q, Q Walrus Titty, the <laughs> silly candidate with his agent and his silly wife. Eric Idle clears his throat. <clears> throat> Here is the result for Leicester. Arthur J. Smith, 
John Cleese, sensible party, idle. Um, 30,612. <laughs> Jethro, Q, Bun, Wacket, Buzzard, Stubble and Boot, Walrus, Titty. John Cleese, silly party, Eric Idle. 33,108. Well, there's the first result and the silly party has held, Lester. What do you make of that, Norman? Michael Palin. Um, well, this is largely as I predicted, except that the silly party won. Uh, I think this is largely due to the number of votes class, Gerald. <laughs> um, well, there's a big swing here to the silly party, but how big a swing, I'm not going to tell you. Michael Palin. I think one should point out here that in this constituency, since the last election, a lot of very silly people have moved into new housing estates with the result that a lot of sensible voters have moved further down the road to the other side uh, of uh, number 29. Well, I can't add anything to that, Colin. Can I just say that this is the first time I've been on television? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. There isn't time. We're going straight over to Luton. And so it, it, continue, it continues. On and on. But I think it's worth, I think, acknowledging just how useful nonsense is for lampooning yes. politics. Because politics, particularly and by its very nature, politicians are driven by their... Um, loyalty to a particular party and if you don't understand the motivation of what is making them say yeah. what they say yeah. it literally can often make Be no yeah. sense yeah. and it only makes sense to them because they know what they're trying to do which is why us poor non-politicians who don't understand all the pressures and all of the kind of the influences that are driving them this is going to yeah. make I'm going to make a very sensible historical point here, <laughs> means that we don't know what's going nonsense. on and this is what the historian has to do this is why nonsense is so key to being a historian, yeah. because you can read something, anything written at any stage, and if you don't understand the motivation for it, you don't understand the gaps yeah. between the lines, you don't understand w w the motivation of why they're trying to say what they say, it is going to be nonsense. Yeah. And the historian's job is to find the sense in what may appear yes. nonsense. That was a beautiful ending. The 2017 General Election Manifesto of the Monster Raving Looney Party. We will stand on a platform of free woolen hats for all, <laughs> so we can pull the wool over everyone's eyes. Oh, very good. On taxation, taxpayers to receive nectar points from HMRC. <laughs> Na Nationalisation. The Looney Party will nationalise all political parties, and if they don't keep their manifesto promises, we will sell them off again. We will nationalise crime to make sure it doesn't pay. Austerity. <laughs> Due, due to the fact that the government have made cuts in almost everything around, the Looney Party proposes to cut the letters of the alphabet, starting with the letters NHS. <laughs> <laughs> and so it goes on. That's, and so it that's... goes. There's also a very sort of serious. Um, there's a sort of very sort of serious sort of side to um, to nonsense as well. You know, which is about the philosophy of nonsense. It's about yeah. it's about knowledge. Um, philosophical inquiry, the absurd. Yeah. You think about art as nonsense and the sort of dada surrealism, surrealism, yeah. and, the, and 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 that. And I think that you know, there's. We, we did a bit about on dreams or dream yes. diaries, and we, yes, so we talked we about did. Dali um, recording his dreams, and he wanted to record that exact moment just as you went to sleep, and your brain just jumbled up and yeah. came up with stuff. Yeah, and he thought Rubbish. that was kind of the yeah. purest example of of his creativity, yeah. how he could kind of harness it. Have you ever read the David Lodge novel Thinks? No. Which is where, which is basically where he he starts off sort of writing in a, almost a sort of stream of consciousness. Yeah. Um, every sort of um, every idea that sort of comes into his head, he puts down on the page, <laughs> and it's part of it is about artificial building artificial intelligence systems. Yeah. Wow. Who yeah. Knew? It's well, very, very, very good. Listen, everyone. Um, if you like what you hear, 
and I liked what I heard there. I liked that, what that, I that, heard. That, that was, was quite fun. It was, it was nonsense, really but fun. good fun. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected at Unexpected Pod. We are truly proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other fantastic shows. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, which is going to involve all sorts of live shows and books. Um, there's some exciting stuff coming, everyone. We have written a book, haven't we, we recently? We, we're starting another little one, yes. and um, we're going to be infiltrating your theatres, maybe. At some maybe. Um, Check us out on historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. That was utter nonsense and really good fun. Goodbye. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.